All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Tom Pierce. Tom is president of Integrated Information Systems. With decades of experience, Tom brings a unique perspective to solving complex problems in integrated business planning, cost and schedule analysis, and cross-functional collaboration. His ability to combine human intelligence with innovative software solutions make him an invaluable resource for those in the manufacturing sector seeking to improve efficiency, streamline operations, and drive sustainable growth. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be with you. So share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to doing what you're doing now with Integrated Information Systems. Certainly. I'll try to cover just the mountain peaks. I took my one and only one computer course in seventh grade. That would have been about 1972. Never took another course. Self-taught, absolutely fascinated with what, how computers and technology can help solve problems. So it was really just a side interest for a very long time. I went to college on an Army RTC scholarship. My first day of reporting for duty, they plucked me out, seeing my math major, knowing that I loved computers, and I was on an analysis team, ended up doing simulation modeling for the Army, missile maintenance, ammunition logistics. From there, after I got out of the Army, I started working for a defense contractor, developing logistics models for the Army. From there, they put me in with a manufacturing facility, a defense manufacturing facility in Louisville where I helped install an MRP system, and that was over 30 years ago, and I'm still helping maintain that MRP system through all of its variations and improvements. And I think about seven years in, I quit working for the defense contractor and went out on my own, honestly, because I didn't like the way my employer was treating my people or my clients. So I got my own shingle, And we've been in business, we'll have our 30th year anniversary this summer. And we have just loved supporting everything about the manufacturing and finance piece within the defense industry as a major client, major defense contractor. And I've just been blessed to fall in with a lot of subject matter experts that have guided my career. So that slash in programmer slash analyst, I live on the slash. I am by nature an analyst that knows how to program. And so I I got bilingual that way. And it's just been a a huge opportunity to really be embedded with the people that use the software I've written and some of the software that I just analyze and critique. Well, right off the bat, you brought up a really interesting point that you left one employer because of the way that they treated you and your people. And you don't have to go into huge detail, but what were some of the biggest mistakes that they made that basically caused you to leave? And then how are you turning that around for your employees to create a workplace culture that keeps them? Thank you for asking that. That's one of the most important things about what it means to be in business for me. 
anecdotally, one of the most important demonstrations that, that we had been developing for two years, we fried a computer getting ready to do a demonstration for a room full of 300 army generals. And one of my newest employees who came to work for me from Toys R Us, he was absolutely brilliant, but didn't make a great impression. So I, he volunteered his brand new, yeah, it was old, 486. Another one of my employees drove it down five hours so we could use it. And we were able to use it, but we fried his monitor. The employer refused to reimburse him for the monitor we fried. Later on, it was just thing after thing. I was denied requests to give my employees raises. I was denied permission to throw them a Christmas party. Stellar recommendation would produce a 2% raise. The, the bonuses were in the range of maybe enough to buy a new suit. They just, the words and deeds didn't match. And the final straw was when it was time to renew the contract with our Navy customer. They raised their rates tremendously because they knew the Navy had become dependent on us in that area. And that was creating a tremendous amount of stress, budget, personnel, all that kind of stress that I just didn't need to do with. So I undercut them by 40% and won that contract away from them, retained a lot of the key people and uh, employee retention, building a family, building a team has been just a huge part of our success. And it's something that it almost sounds like they were picking up pennies and leaping over dollars because exactly. for the price of, of replacing that monitor or this a, a little bit bigger raises, it's not like they had to even give 20% raises, right. but just to make employees feel valuable, how much money they ended up losing because they didn't do these little things well. And I think in a market where it's so important to find people and then treat them well enough so that they stay, it's really important for people to, to realize that it's not all about the money, but the money definitely plays a part in it. And sometimes you got to spend a little money to save a lot. It is one of the most authentic expressions of appreciation. Put your money where your mouth is. But there are certainly many ways. It's just they need to be consistent. The, the money and yeah. the words and the behavior all have to match that you genuinely value the people that are doing the work. And I know you and I were talking a little bit before the show. So not only do you have the military experience that you talked about, but you have a pastoral ministry. Then you have the application software. So how have all of these experiences shaped your approach to solving complex problems that the manufacturing industry is dealing with? I used to think I simply suffered from disassociative identity disorder or something like that. <laughs> it, I have a hat rack with a lot of different hats. But in, in recent years, they've started to merge more. And I've started to see how even the seminary education, I'm only half joking when I tell people that what I learned in seminary is more applicable to business than it ever was to church ministry. But the problems are not dissimilar. The problems of trying to get people to work together well, whether they're volunteer or paid, whether they're clients or employees, just the human dynamics. I understand you have a little bit of a background in emotional intelligence yourself. The full range of human experience, whether you're talking a military commander leading men into battle, men and women into battle, or a manufacturing facility trying to go cross-functional skill sets and make sure everybody's actually collaborating with each other or just building a small business and kind of keeping the team together. The human dynamics of 
understanding the value that each person brings to the table and how to pair them up. There's even a little bit of musical background. I was a choir director also. And so getting the tenors and the basses and the sopranos and the altos and the drummers and the guitar to all come in at the right time. And it's not unison, it's harmony that you're seeking. And so that's just been a huge part of my experience. And lo and behold, it turns out the computers have the same problem, that, that getting computers to communicate well with each other and to feed useful information. Manufacturing is an incredibly complex endeavor even the simplest small firms, and to get all of the functions, even speaking the same language, small anecdote, while I was pastoring, at one time I was pastoring three different churches at the same time, three different denominations. So the old saying of trying to get everybody singing out of the same hymnal was a real logistical challenge for me. (laughs) It's not the dark red one, it's the right one, the red one today. But yeah, the humans and the computers, that true integration of shared information, shared intelligence, shared understanding applies to humans and computers equally well. Well, I think too, it gives you the background because no, because a lot of times in IT and working with computer, it's, I don't want to make a broad statement, but it's not a, a position that screams human connection. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so yes. I think that combination of realizing that using your pastoral background to really connect with people, see them as human beings, acknowledge the good work that they do, then that makes them want to work even harder for you. Absolutely. There's a surprising amount of overlap between what we call counseling and what we call consulting. You're (laughs) advising people, you're seeking truth and sharing wisdom in every way you can. It's a very similar field. Absolutely. So in your experience, what are some of the most common challenges that are being faced by operations and supply chain managers in the manufacturing sector? So I hate to oversimplify it, but to start with, I'll use the simple word gap. There are enormous gaps that seem to be naturally forming, like an entropy kind of thing, that that people are incentivized to make their bosses happy. And if you're in a stovepipe organization, your supply chain people are going to be focused on what the vice president of supply chain wants. Your operations people are going to be. And if there's not good relationships, good collaboration at the highest levels, then what you end up with is a completely fragmented organization structure. And sometimes they lean a little too heavily on software to solve all the problems. If we can just get everybody using the same software system, that'll solve all our problems. It doesn't because they don't understand each other's language. They don't develop trust in each other. And I think the digital insertion in communication between humans actually makes trust more difficult to establish. It's harder to develop a trusting relationship with somebody you know only through email, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, than it is to actually sit in a room, talk, collaborate. Some of the most valuable conversations that happen in a business happen in the parking lots, in the hallways, when people are actually reading body language, expressing full life implications of decisions, and actually collaborating, holistically collaborating with each other. So, you know, the classic gaps, you've got huge gaps between finance and production, There's even a war going on between, you used in the introduction, the integrated business planning. Wait a minute, is that the same thing as sales and operations planning? Or one's led by finance, one led by production? Oh, would we need both? And so supply and operations often fight with each other. 
why don't we have the parts we need? Because you didn't order them soon enough. You didn't give the specs. Quality lives on its own island many times. So really trying to get functional people incentivized to collaborate with each other. I mean, people don't typically get bonuses performing really good relationships with the other functions. The results show at the team level. So how do you get a person listening to this realizes that their communication strategies just aren't that good and they need to have that to integrate more collaboration between departments or between people? What's What would be a good way to get the conversation started? One of the simplest things that, that I, my son, who's worked for me for 15 years, Alex, he added an innovation that I undervalued at first and came to appreciate later. He started putting collaboration notes in pretty much every report. If somebody from supply chain gets a report, they can make a comment right there on the report and save it. And that same note gets replicated to anybody who's looking information about that peel in line. And he has expanded the use of collaboration notes, which has in turn sparked more phone calls, more text messages. We'll be in conference room settings, workshops, not just reporting the status of an issue, but seeing what somebody has written in the notes, picking up the phone, writing an email, set up a side meeting immediately, solve the problem before it has to be reported on. Getting that rhythm, I, I think it, it might have been, I'm sorry, I can't remember who I'm attributing this to. Most organizations are not just set up to solve problems. They're set up to report them. And right. if you can get the momentum moving in the other direction, where the purpose of the meeting is to solve problems, then you don't have to worry about the plan of action and milestones and whether or not the due date was met. Just solve it. So that true working relationship. And so are these collaboration notes a part of the software? Like when you were talking, I was thinking like people using Google Docs where everybody can go in and do the same, see the same notes when people are editing it. So that's the same basic idea. But what Alex did was he incorporated that in pretty much every report. And mm. Excel is very commonly used, but even for the people that hate Excel, they still right. use it. So he figured out the technology, the techniques to embed the collaboration notes in the Excel report. So you think you're just reading a report, but you can go in and type in, save the note. The next person that opens the report sees the note saved in a shared database, but all of the reports are integrated. You know, the name oh, of the wow. company, it, we integrate the information systems so that the information is shared. It And it's not meant to replace the human face-to-face -face voice sharing. It's meant to facilitate it. I see right. here that you made this note. Can you tell me more? Okay. So what are some other best practices for successfully implementing ERP systems in the manufacturing businesses to really help them to streamline their operations and improve efficiency? A similar answer, but a completely different angle on it. I've been a part of multiple ERP implementations, one at the very beginning of my career, several SAP implementations. And the classic approach is by nature fragmented. Let's get all the supply chain people over here. Let's get all the production control people over here, all the finance people over here. And in order to try to speed the process, they think what they're doing is dividing and conquering. But in any organization, there are some key linchpin kind of people that function as translators between those functional areas. And those people can't be in both meetings. So you need to 
adjust your schedules to allow for the people that are focused on a particular functional area to talk to each other. Have somebody from procurement in there when you're talking to the quality people. Have somebody from production in there when you're talking to the finance people. Because the the fragmentation of large organizations is one of the biggest drains. It is a sink of efficiency, motivation, morale. It, it just it's a communication breakdown from the get-go, from the implementation process itself. They tend yeah. to fragment people. So yeah. you try to get everybody involved at the same time. It might slow your schedule down, but in the long term, I think it pays off because oh, there's no surprises when everybody brings out their own little separate hymnals. Yeah. And they're actually talking to each other and they're potentially building relationships, which lead yeah. to friendships, which leads to them not leaving the organization as exactly. willingly. Yeah. One of the astounding, oh. I can't quote the exact number, but there's an astounding number of people that leave the company. I, th I think the number I remember was like 30%. On a typical ERP implementation, 30% of the people are going to leave because wow. the implementation process itself is so exhausting and straining on relationships and time and budget pressure and everything else. And the people who leave first are the people that find the next job easiest, which tend to be your best people. And especially in the last three years, we've really seen with the pandemic that people right. have, they're making different choices. If they are miserable at their job, they're right. like, you know what, it is, life is way too short to stay in somewhere where I'm miserable. So that's how we start right. lo keep losing our people. Exactly. And the work from home phenomenon kind of opened that door. I can sit here in my desk. I've got a, a, a client in Mississippi that I'll be supporting for the next three weeks. I don't have to go. I used to drive to Mississippi once every month for 10 years. I don't wow. have to drive anymore. I can do everything from here that I could do then. So it opens the door for employees. It's more of a em employee's market now. Absolutely. That, and that leads us to the role, the, as the role of technology is evolving in the manufacturing industry. So how do you see that working in terms of automation, data analysis, and integration right. with legacy systems? Absolutely. Love the way you asked that. Because when I first started my business and chose the name, the problem was this new thing had appeared called a PC. And everybody was wanting to use their PC and their Windows and their WordPerfect document to create work instructions, but their PC couldn't talk to the mainframe running the MRP system. So one of the first innovations we built was the communication between the PC and the mainframe. And so the legacy system integrating with the new technology was the reason I called my company what I did 30 years ago. I thought it was a temporary phenomenon until Windows took over. I was wrong. So getting the computers talk to each other I have found requires equal emphasis on the people working together. They go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, I've been fascinated with this latest surge of interest in the AI and the chat GPT and everything. I'm seeing a flood of instructions advising people how to talk to your AI. Here's a set of prompts you can use. And it reminds mm -hmm. me of what it's like. I've got six grandchildren. And so they're all four and under. So you learn how to talk to your grandchild and your grandchild learns how to communicate with you in a, a totally two-way dynamic. 
And it's it's funny, my, my four-year-old Christopher, he did not speak at a very young age, but he managed to express himself and communicate with body language and pointing. And the first word he used commonly when we were out for a walk was way. Yeah, I want to go that way. And he would just point. So we teach each other how to communicate. We've got the same problem. People, when Google was new, people had to learn how to talk to Google. How do I ask my questions to get the answers I want? That's going to continue to happen, but it's going to explode. If you don't know how to talk to, communicate with, convey what you really want through this automated device, I joke with people, I'll really believe AI is here for good when Alexa knows when I'm mad at her. And she doesn't. She annoys me sometimes. And she doesn't pick up on the signal that I'm annoyed. But what I'm worried about is what happens when Alexa gets mad at me. That's a whole different problem. But somehow, the emotional intelligence is actually going to find its way in to our relationship with technology. I don't think you're probably old enough to remember, but it wasn't long after the PC boom that there was this phenomenon of people throwing their computers out the window in sheer frustration. And Mm -hmm the blue screens of death from the old days. They Uh, keep changing what happens when the computer freezes, but all of us get frustrated in working with technology. Technology is great when it works. We're going to have to interact more and more. We're going to have to develop the soft skills of interacting. And if you don't mind me just elaborating one more stretch on that. I, I used to think of it as a humorous point. I'm not treat it more seriously. I'm a huge fan of automation. I just, I hate asking people to do tedious work that the computer could do for them. And so you'd come up with this whole flow chart of how this process feeds that process while you're asleep. And then people started saying, oh, wait a minute, I need to insert something into the flow chart, which I called insert human intelligence here. You got to find the right spots in your automation where you need a human to override the assumptions of the computer. You got to understand at the same time, that same button in the flowchart can be read, insert human deception here. Because right. people don't always want the boss to know what the computer says. That's where the real fine art, the integrity comes into play. The whole, can you handle the truth? Right. Humans interact with the automated systems. Are they adding value or are they adding deception? And mm. now we're back to the culture. Have you right. trust in the people that are interacting with your data? So if you were to bring out your crystal ball, how do you envision the future of integrated business planning and the role that it's going to play in shaping the success of businesses in the manufacturing sector? I, I'm going to go a little bit cynical on you here, just a little, a little bit old and jaded. So I've earned the right. I think you're going to see Pareto's law in that 20% of the interaction with automation and AI will be productive, will provide 80% of the productivity. And there's going to be another 80% that is just wasted effort. That is people beating on the ATM machine because it won't give it just people just getting frustrated with it. Automation doesn't improve the quality of our information, it amplifies and accelerates it. Lies spread faster, truth spreads faster. Some people say the lies halfway around the world before the truth gets its shoes on. But in this world, both travel fast 
it's just more and more of a challenge to weed through the whatever the percentage is. I'll say 80% fiction, 20% fact. And to be able to recognize, they talk about the amazing level of deep fake possible now. Mm. They can create imagery video that makes it look like you were somewhere saying things, talking to people that aren't real. How are we going to ever detect that? It's going to nothing new under the sun. We've been there before. You know, you pick up the phone. How do I know you're you? How do I know that what I am seeing is real? What I'm reading is real? We'll work on it. We'll work through it. Little tidbit. I, one time I had just the great privilege of seeing an exhibition of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And to see the effort that people went to, to preserve their sacred text in every way imaginable, ma- imaginable. And then the scholars that look at those things, see the inconsistencies and try to work through the authenticity. What is really trying to be conveyed here? There is no perfect communication. We are always filtering what we hear and see and read to try to develop levels of trust and confidence. I think that challenge gets harder and harder. And the people that are really good at it are going to be extremely valuable. So how do you work with your clients and how would they, how would somebody realize that they needed to have a conversation with you? (laughs) I tell people all the time, I don't want my customers to become dependent on me. I just want them to be better off with me than they are without me. I like working with people who already know how to run their business and collaborate, share problems, share insights, share stories, and maybe I can help with advice. Maybe I can help with a tip. There there was one potential client. We never signed a contract because when I started looking at his data that, that we were perhaps going to migrate into a new system, I saw his real problem was the way he was relating to his customer. And so over lunch, I just offered him some advice. We've been having lunch every couple of months since, and he's turned his business around. I just like to help people. And if sharing an insight or doing some programming, inserting some technology or a major integration project, it you want to use the computer to solve a problem, not use the computer and go find a problem that it fixes. I like interacting with people of what problems you're facing, what challenges you're facing, what's keeping you up at night, and is the solution human, digital, or a combination of both? And how can I help? And if somebody would like to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? So our website is i2s.com. That's the letter I, the number two, the letter S for integrated information systems. I said.com. I lost that bid. It's .us. i2s.us <laughs> is our URL. My email address is tom at i2s.us. Find me on LinkedIn. Email me. Contact me any way you can. Awesome. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. For me as well. Thank you, Lisa. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. 
You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.